This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the This Week in Rays Baseball podcast. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Here we are now. Less than two weeks until the Super Bowl, less than three weeks until Fan Fest, and there's still a lot to do. Um, we've got a lot to touch on. The Hall of Fame is later on this week. We'll be uh, chatting with Mark Topkin a little bit of the Tampa Bay Times since he does vote, and there's still a lot to do on the baseball side. And joining us, uh, Senior Vice President Haim Bloom. Haim, you guys just came out of your organizational meetings. Tell us about those because they were somewhat unique. We did, and this was uh, something we actually had not done in 10 years, uh, where we gather all of our baseball operations employees in the same place, and uh, we meet together. And, um, you know, the last time we did it, we probably had around 80 full-timers in the department, and now we're up over 200, which just shows how much our organization has grown in that time, uh, and, and certainly the industry. And you know, not having done it for so long, it was, A, it was a really good time to be able to see everybody, have people, um, you know, meet people that they haven't before, that they work with in some sense, but they had not had a chance to talk to and to get to know. And, and we believe really strongly that those relationships and those bonds and, and building that togetherness is something that can separate us from other organizations. And also, uh, you know, for us to really... Uh, you know, emphasize our mission and clarify for everybody uh, what we need to do to be successful and uh, come to that answer together. And we think it's going to pay a lot of dividends in the years ahead. And I'm sure when you planned that in mid-January, you probably weren't thinking that there would still be so much to do around baseball in the industry. And I mean, here we are weeks before spring training where we still have, what, 150 or so free agents that haven't signed and and probably a lot to do for not only the race, but most teams. It's pretty unique. Uh, I can't remember uh, in the time I've been doing this a winter quite like this, um, where, you know, as you said, we're at a point in the calendar where usually you're coming up on the tail end of the offseason. But when you look at player movement around the league, it really feels like we're just getting rolling. So, okay, that said, and we'll back up kind of to to – um, you know, the lack of movement, but because of it, do you guys have to approach spring training any differently? You know, you guys have pitchers and catchers reporting on the 13th of February. I think you have a split squad on the first weekend of games being played. Do you have to start inviting guys or at least have minor league guys prepared to be ready earlier than normal just so you have enough bodies in camp? Yeah, and as you mentioned, the split squad early really kind of exacerbates that where we know we are going to need to be ready to play two simultaneous games uh, right out of the gate in spring training. And so, you know, we typically have a number of internal invites, uh, whether it's players that have earned their way to big league camp or players that we think, um, you know, could play a role for us in the coming year. And we want them to get around our staff and for our staff to get to know them a little bit. Uh, we already have invited some of those guys. And now we're starting to add, you know, kind of a second wave just to make sure that we have enough uh, guys to take this on. So tell me, do you have a feel for when this is the, the dam will break? Will it not break? I mean, are we even at a point where we're going to see guys working on their own in major league spring trainings because 
they want to stay in game shape because it it's this is a much larger number than ever before. Yeah, I've given up trying to predict exactly how this offseason uh, will pace itself because uh, I you know I've been wrong about that to date and you know did not anticipate this you know with so many guys hanging out there so late and it's not really the free agents I think it's even or it is those free agents but also aside from that uh, just a lot of movement around the league where I think you can look around and anticipate that a lot of rosters are going to look uh, potentially a lot different by the time camp opens and so it does uh, it does make planning a little more difficult as you suggested earlier where we want to make sure that we have uh, you know, as I mentioned, a number of players to take on the challenge, but we also feel uh, it's really important for us that we give ample opportunity to the guys who are in camp that we need to, uh, you know, see. And so we don't want to overload it and you don't want to invite too many or add too many. And then, you know, because there was a late rush and we ended up adding a number of players at the end, now we have more guys than we have opportunity for, you know, that's not what we want to do to players either. So trying to juggle all those things is, is difficult. Does the number of free agents out there, does it make it any easier to sign guys? Do you think for you, let's say on a one or a shorter term deals, which generally are the ones that are going to work for you? Well, I think we don't know enough yet to know exactly how that's going to fall. Um, you know, this is typically a time uh, historically when uh, we found some free agents that have been really good fits for us, uh, you know, late in the winter. And, uh, you know, I think that may prove to be the case again. There's just a lot more of them out there and including some very high profile players who you would still expect, uh, you know, to secure pretty good contracts. Just the timing of it might be different than what we've seen in the past. Because if I remember right, last year, this was about the time you re-signed Logan Morrison. It probably was still a couple of weeks until you signed a Tommy Hunter to a to a minor league deal with, a, you know, the major league incentives, etc., so under normal circumstances, yeah, this might be that time, but are, what's your feel? Uh, are, are the agents now playing a waiting game? Are some of them starting to get impatient and say, hey, you know, my guy wants to know where he's going? Because I think there's a human aspect to this, too. I, I've got to find a place to stay for camp. I've got to find a place to stay during the major league season. If I've got a major league contract, there's a lot to consider in the human part of this. Yeah, there's there's no question. And you mentioned a couple guys that we've gotten late and Last offseason, the year before that, I think Steve Pierce we signed around this time. Um, but, you know, that that human side of it is important. It's easy to overlook. You know, a lot of these guys, especially if they have families, if they have young kids who are going to be joining them in spring training, you need to make plans for those. And so, um, you know, guys want to know where they're going to be so they can start securing a place so that they can make sure that their family is taken care of so they can focus on baseball. So I do think that will start to loom a little larger for guys. But I think what we're seeing around the industry – um, there's a little bit of a stalemate when there are so many uh, paths and options available for both players and clubs. Um, I think it takes a little more of a push for someone to say, okay, it's time to jump. I'm ready to pick a spot. I'm ready to make this deal. Um, and, you know, spring training isn't going anywhere. So there is, a, there is a timing aspect where I think a lot of players, a lot of teams will have to pick directions. Uh, and we are, you know, the closer you get to camp, I think the more uh, that looms. And very unique year in that, at least to this point as we record this, nobody has signed more than a three-year contract who's been a free agent. Okay, you guys have to prepare for spring training, and there may be changes in the game. It was discussed a lot last week, pace of play. Uh, certainly there's an ongoing battle between the Players Association, um, uh, the union, and, 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 and management on what to do. But how do you guys prepare for the possibility of changes? It's an interesting question, and, uh, you know, we've experienced things like this in recent years, whether it was 
uh, instant replay starting, whether it was some of the changes we've had uh, with uh, various the rules about various slides, either plays at the plate or, uh, you know, the double play, where whatever the rule change may be, you know, from our perspective, from a baseball ops perspective, it's important that when the lights go on on opening day, our players are ready, that they know what the ramifications of those rules are going to be. And in some cases, if they need to play differently because of them, that they're prepared. So when the rule changes do come out, uh, whatever they may be, we spend a lot of time first as a staff and with our coaching staff talking about, okay, what is the rule? Uh, Let's make sure we know that backwards and forwards. What does that mean for how it might change gameplay? And we spend some time talking about that. And then the last piece is, all right, given all that, what do we need to tell our players? What do they need to know that might not be apparent right away uh, on what you know they need to do differently. So with replay, uh, all of a sudden the the uh, the fact that the play could be overturned might mean that how hard you were running, you know, so to speak, after the whistle might actually matter, might actually influence an umpire's judgment. So we had to uh, make sure we were ready for that. You know, obviously with the various uh, collision rules, we had to make sure our players knew exactly how to behave. Uh, and spring training is kind of a time of trial for that, where you your players learn, and also the umpires learn and really you know, the game of baseball learns what these rules are going to look like in practice and how to get to that point that that we want where they're accomplishing what they're intended to accomplish. The one thing, um, and this wasn't your intent when you made Kyle Snyder your pitching coach or that you created an avenue for a lot of young pitchers, but most of them, whether they haven't made their major league debut or whether they had half a season or parts of a season last year in the big leagues, they have dealt with a pitch clock at the minor league level. How much does that help if – in fact, there is a pitch clock put in place at some point. Yeah, should that be one of the changes? I think our our group is going to be pretty well suited to adjust. Um, you know, it's cliche that we always say it's a game of adjustments, and we're certainly not the only people that say that, but it is definitely something that we have always uh, stressed here with the Rays is, uh, you know, adjustability, and we need to be very nimble. Um, and if we're going to have success, we can't just be set in our ways. We have to be able to adapt. And that's a mindset that we've tried to build into our players that the game is going to throw some things at you that you don't anticipate and you have to be ready to adapt. So I like to think we're going to be pretty well prepared for whatever changes do happen. As you mentioned, um, if it is a pitch clock, that's something that a lot of our guys coming up have dealt with in the minor leagues. It's one of the advantages of having a younger group that they're used to this. Uh, you know, our coaching staff, same, that a lot of these guys have spent time in the minor leagues, some of them fairly recently, and are used to this. So, you know, if that is a change, I feel confident we're going to be ready for it. Well, the clock is on in terms of getting ready for spring training, and I don't know if we'll have a pitch clock, but hopefully we hear about uh, some more movement on the, whether it's trade or free agent front, and I know you'll have a lot of talks this week. Haim, thanks very much for a few minutes. Thanks, Neil. Good talking to you. Well, we certainly appreciate having Hein Bloom on the podcast today. And lo and behold, back from vacation. Now joining us is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And Topper Boy, when you went on vacation, I figured, all right, you were here when the Evan Longoria trade happened. I would have thought a lot more would happen. Forget the Rays. How about across Major League Baseball? This has been probably the quietest three or four week period I I think I've seen. I I guess they listened to what you asked them to do, right? No, I think it was the other way around, uh, Neil. I was hoping they got all this stuff done before I came back from vacation. I was going to come back and, <laughs> and read Roger Mooney telling me what the roster looked like. So, yeah, it's been a surprise throughout Major League Baseball, uh, obviously overall throughout the race. Specifically, I know there's a lot of uh, suspicions that the players and agents have out there. The reason for the slowdown, I know talking to people with different teams, they feel like you know it's a matter of just teams are all smarter now and wiser and 
Nobody wants to give up that big prospect call. Nobody wants to lock into that giant contract that can paralyze you or come back and bite you later on, you know, long-term free agent contract. So everyone's kind of waiting. But, you know, look, Eric, I talked to Eric Neander the other day, and, and he made the most obvious point of all, which is spring training isn't moving. I mean, it's still going to start. The Rays are still going to be on the field February 14th. And happy Valentine's Day, by the way, mm-hmm. for us to be together. And, uh, you know, they're going to – they have to make some moves, and every team does. So this market is going to pick up at some point in these next couple of weeks. Yeah, either that or MLB is going to have to come up with some type of uh, program where they're going to have a lot of free agents working out as a group. I mean, I, because if you have over 100 free agents, you know, still not signed, I mean, they've got to stay in shape. Yeah, and a lot of guys are working out on their own, and, and I honestly don't think it's going to get that far. I think talking to some uh, people, they, they said that they kind of get the sense that, you know, right around the end of January, one way or other, things have to break. Now, you know, I, I don't know. How does this play out? Does it take a player of, you know, some fairly high level uh, taking a below market contract? And then that sets a tone. A lot of other players are going to have to do that, too. No one's going to really want to be the person that does that. On the other hand, there's some guys that, you know, they have to figure out are they going to have a job or not. They don't want to end up, you know, taking a minor league contract or a $1 million deal when they thought they were going to be in line for so much more. So somebody's going to have to give uh, first one side or the other here. No doubt. You talked to Alex Cobb, and I thought some real interesting stuff came out of that. I mean, I certainly would have thought he would have been one of those guys that would have signed already. No doubt about it. And, and you know, and I, I thought, as, as always, and whoever, wherever he signs and whoever the, the radio and, and newspaper writers are that get to cover him, they'll come to appreciate this as well. As always, Alex Cobb, very straightforward and, and very blunt. And, you know, he went into this thinking this was going to be a really exciting time. I mean, I think, you know, you and I both know we talked to him in September, how uh, eager he was to see what the market had to yield. And, and then he said it just kept dragging on. And then it became really frustrating as to what's the deal here. And it's December. He's not signed. Winter meetings come and go. Holidays come and go. And, and, you know, he said he has now come around to realize, you know, this is this is how it's going to be. And, and all the free agents, all the elite-level free agents, for the most part, are in this together. And it's going to play out, and they're still going to get jobs and good contracts. But, yeah, definitely a different experience than Alex Cobb would have anticipated for his first and then maybe only time through free agency. Certainly hoping the best for him. You know, this time of year, fans are usually asking, okay, what does the roster look like? And you've tried to answer that. And, you know, I, I kind of joke with people, so what do you think of this, you know, lineup? And I'm like, I, I can't put – I mean, you did put a lineup together, but I can't at this point because I still expect that there's going to be a lot of change, as you indicated, between now and the start of spring training, maybe even now and, and March 29th. Yeah, and I think there, there's two different things there. One is, you know, I think there will be some movement between now and the start of spring training, and you're right. The only way I could do that, and it was in the Tampa Bay Times the other day, and it's on TampaBay.com now – the only way I could do that lineup the other day was to kind of convince myself, you know, don't worry about the what ifs. If this is the roster that Kevin Cash has to pick from, if these are the, the guys he's going to have available, how is he going to put this roster together? And I didn't get into whether a lefty or righty would start. It probably would be Chris Sale, a lefty for opening day. But just the idea that this is the roster that he's going to have to work with and what's the most likely grouping and how would you put them together. And it, it, it was hard to do, but I do think there will be changes. The other thing is the Rays and, and many teams, but especially the Rays in the past, have not wanted to do a lot of deals during spring training. I mean, you pick a guy up every now and then. Tommy Hunter was at the start of spring training last year. There have been a couple guys. Derek Norris was during mm-hmm. spring training. For the most part, though, you don't want to do that. You have your team, and you don't want to make a trade because it's obviously disruptive, especially if you traded a big-name guy. Remember a couple of years ago, we all thought David Price would have been traded, and it was kind of like once he got to Port Charlotte, 
uh, in the spring of 2014, that was it. He wasn't going to be traded until the trade deadline, which he was to Detroit that year. So it can be very disruptive if a veteran player is traded during spring training because he's there, he's mixing in, he's there, you know that bonding is forming. And that may be the case this year for a lot of teams, not just the Rays. No doubt. Uh, certainly a very unique year. Um, and in this unique year, we're still kind of waiting, too, on who's going to the next Hall of Fame class, um, or at least who's going to join the group that the veterans have, have uh, uh, put in. What's your take? I know you have a vote in this, uh, unlike many of us. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have one of about 450 votes or so, so it's a very small voice in this, but it's as we've talked about before, Neil, it's a privilege and it's an honor. And as much as, as it can be a headache and as much as, you know, we get roasted by people on social media for uh, what we do vote and, and why we vote and, and why we do it and how we explain it, no matter what, it's never good enough. And all that aside, it's obviously a, a great honor to get to be part of the process to elect players to the Hall of Fame. And I, I think a couple of trends have been emerging this year. It's going to be very curious to see the announcement is Wednesday night. Uh, you know, how high do Bonds and Clemens get? They're not going to get in this year, but they, the early early trending is that they're continuing to rise and that, you know, that vote total is going to continue to go up. Uh, obviously, there's some players that seem pretty automatic this year. Chipper Jones is one. Uh, Jim Tomei is one. It's going to be curious to see uh, where Trevor Hoffman ends up. Edgar Martinez is getting a lot of support this year, and it kind of opens that DH debate. You know, should he or shouldn't he kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's some speculation it could be as large as a five-member class, which I think would match to the last time that happened was the first class of active players. So mm-hmm. it'd be very interesting to see. But, you know, it's, it's always a conversation. It's always a debate. Uh, and it's it's always someone has a, has a beef with it. I mean, I for example, I always vote for Fred McGriff. It's just my personal belief that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And he doesn't get a lot of support. But it's just, you know, I'm one of the guys that, believes that Fred McGriff deserves to be in there. Other people have different beliefs, so that's why you see that kind of you know widespread amount toward the bottom part of the ballot. Last several years, I think you've gotten the ballots correct in terms of who went in, they, that you voted for them. So do you mind sharing, or do we have to wait until Wednesday to read about it in the Times? <laughs> sure, Neil. For you, I'll always break a, an embargo or anything like that. So I'll give you the scoop here. And I mentioned a couple guys earlier. Obviously, Vlad Guerrero is another one that has been a lot of discussion about that may make it. But the ballot that I voted for, in alphabetical order, and you're limited to 10, which is another mm-hmm. point of contention here among the voters. That's the Hall of Fame rule. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Vlad Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, Chipper Jones, Fred McGriff, as we talked about. This was a new one for me. This was somebody that I hadn't voted for before, and then I gave it a little more study with an empty spot or two of, in my limit of 10 to work with, and I voted for Mike Yusina this year, which I hadn't done before. Uh, Gary Sheffield, Jim Tomei, and then another guy that uh, I know creates a little bit of debate among people that are just like there is with four or against DHs is four or against closers. I voted for Billy Wagner. Okay, so, and, and, and I think the hard part is the 10. So, Okay, I'm going back to this in my mind. So no Edgar? I just have not been of the opinion that a DH, a primarily a DH, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I am well aware of all the arguments. Mm-hmm. I am well aware of all the people that will tell me why that is an incredibly flawed and archaic way of thinking. But it's my way of thinking, and I'm going to stick to it. Now, when David Ortiz comes up, it's going to obviously have to be revisited further. But I just have broken down Edgar's stats. You can look at this so many different ways, including, and, and this is something someone brought to my attention, and it was a really interesting point, is how much of his career would have been impacted had he played 
in the field every day, and would that have limited his output going forward? I mean, there's so many different things to think about when you look at this. But my point is, to me, he's not the complete player. The other guys are because he spent the majority of his time, not all, but the majority of his time only as a DH. It makes for a great debate because you're willing to put a Wagner in who's certainly very specialized, but not a uh, guy who didn't play the field, which makes him also specialized. I know, and there's a lot of uh, people who claim there's some hypocrisy there. <laughs> but that's that's the way I'm going to do it, and and yeah, that's that's part of what makes this such a great process. And and every ballot, I, I saw the other day, one of our colleagues put a ballot up, and two or three people responded on Twitter, "That's the perfect ballot." Well, of course it's not. There is no perfect ballot, and that was the perfect ballot because he voted for the guys they liked. It wasn't mm-hmm. a perfect ballot in any scale. There's no way to judge this. Well, I do appreciate you putting it out there, and I think it's. And I'm sure you're going to put it out there in greater detail at, at TampaBay.com, where people can read, respond, and offer their their take on it. You know, certainly, I would hope that down the line we're talking about some some rays, some more rays, other than Fred McGriff, who are going to get you know maybe in. You know, this week, in fact, Baseball America announced his top hundred prospects, and I kind of was surprised that there were only six of them um, in the top hundred. I, I think Lucius Fox certainly. Uh, deserved a fair amount of consideration, and I guess it, it depends whether Christian Royal qualifies under their under their terms. Yeah, it was interesting to see, and I, I think the top team had eight, and the Rays were in the next tier with six, which is obviously a credit to the you know effort and the uh, commitment that the front office has made to rebuild that farm system after a few down years, and you know some of that was through trades, and some of that was through international signings, and I know they hope there's some players. That they sign, you know, that they sign through the system from the draft. Obviously, Brandon McKay is the one who jumps out. He's certainly the most advanced, but you know, their kind of own homegrown product as well. And to have that mix, all getting to the top now. But you know, Honeywell certainly is one of those guys. So it is an interesting group. And yeah, Lucius Fox, I thought might have been on there, maybe even in place of Wander Franco, just because Lucius Fox is a little more advanced. He was mm-hmm. in the Futures game this past year. But I do think the Rays have, you know, accomplished their goal of having a better group. The thing is, you know, it's never done. You talk about a job that's never done. You're never, and I'm sure they never will say they're happy with the farm system because every player that gets a AAA, you need another player uh, at rookie league or A-ball starting to come through the system again. Agreed, especially, you know, with the the limitations that they are, you know, that they have. They have to have a constantly flowing system, so to speak. And who knows, maybe we'll see some additions to that system depending on how the market moves i know you're going to be covering it either way and it, before we know it we'll be in spring training and i'm guessing we're going to be talking before then about some moves that are made i, I think so neil i think you're just looking at the roster now and as we talked about they could put a team together as, as it is but I, I do think you know both for financial reasons and for baseball reasons there's going to be some trades of uh, some significant names still to come and i'll be happy to talk to you about it as you always know this is the highlight of my week well, certainly good stuff from Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. I know his tongue is embedded firmly in cheek when he says it's the highlight of his day, but we do appreciate the time that he gives us and uh, gives us a chance to certainly talk a lot of baseball. Hopefully, there are plenty of other reasons to talk baseball with you and uh, plenty more moves to come. I would think between now and February 13th, and of course, once camp opens, we will have uh, a couple of podcasts, one for our Countdown Opening Day show and one for some of the goings-on as we walk ourselves through spring training. In the meantime, thanks to Mark and Haim for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon.